Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Pray to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you this morning. Praise God. Got a great show today for you. Emily Alcaraz is here. Good morning, Emily. Good morning, Joe. We did it. We made it through 2020. Praise be to Jesus Christ. What an opportunity to, uh, I was going to say suffer through 2021, but who knows? Many graces will probably come from this year, and we're looking forward to that. Of course, Adrian Fonseca is producing, and that's always a grace. Good morning to you, Adrian. Oh my goodness, so much fun back here. I'm looking forward to the reign of Mary in 2021, man. Amen. You are the reign of Mary. Joseph. Oh, oh, I'm looking forward to the chastisement. It's going to be great. It's going to be so much fun. (laughs) You can't get to the reign of Mary until you've gone through the chastisement, just so you know. Uh, Lots to come, that's for sure. But good things are to come. And we're celebrating the Mother of God, one of those uh, teachings or dogmas of the church that I struggled with as a convert to the church. But today on our program, Tim Staples from Catholic Answers will be on with us to, to, to discuss why the church is taught this and uh, where it can, sort of the history of the dogma and why Protestants seem to protest this and what can we do to help them better understand Our Lady. All of that is coming up in today's show. Plus, uh, this is a pre-recorded show, just so you know. We're, we're all actually sleeping in today, by the grace of God. <laughs> but uh, So we now have the breaking news. We do have some news stories to share with you. Plus, we have the Saint of the Day and the Gospel of the Day and the What's Concerning Us section all in this hour. Plus, there's still more to come in the next hour if you can join us for that as well we are very much looking forward to being with you let's start with prayer whatever your intentions are whatever whatever needs you have in front of you uh, let's bring them and unite them together i am praying for our team our equipment our show today our guest each one of you dear listeners and all of your needs my own family members of course the repose of the soul of uh, armando our colleague who we laid to rest this week and uh, anyone who's suffering through COVID right now, we're praying for you as well. But let's ask Our Lady to uh, whisper these intentions into the ear of her son, that he might draw us ever so more closely into his most sacred heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come. Before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I was going to say now that breaking news with uh, Emily Alcarez, but uh, we may not have breaking news, but I think we have some stories to share. Right, Emily? Right. So these are going to be your headlines from the week. Um... What we saw on Monday was that the Nashville bomber was identified as Anthony Quinn Warner. Of course, that Christmas Day explosion uh, injured three people, but luckily none were killed. Um, And the strange case, the motives are still unknown, so uh, still an open case with lots of unanswered questions. We also saw that an archbishop from Belarus was allowed to return back home for Christmas. Um, There have been protests in Belarus after the uh, election results were disputed. This includes priests that have been um, detained. And so 
uh, we're, we're glad that the Archbishop was allowed to return home for the holidays. Um, Pope Francis, of course, in full support of the coronavirus vaccines. He's calling for everyone to receive them and for them to be made available to the world's neediest people. Um, and he called for this in his Christmas Orbi at Orbi Blessing on Friday. Um, in other news, companies are now developing apps for people to upload their vaccine passports. So we could soon be needing uh, passports and QR codes to be allowed into uh, events and flights and things such as that. Um, an Argentine priest was suspended after punching a bishop who closed a seminary. So the bishop, Eduardo Maria Tausig, was making a pastoral visit to explain why he was closing a traditional seminary in July of 2020. Um, and many were protesting. One protester even slashed his tires, and Father Camillo Dib physically attacked the bishop three times and was that later suspended from his priestly duties. Pope Francis, after announcing the year of St. Joseph, is also announcing this the fifth anniversary of Amoris Laetitia and a year dedicated to the family. And so there will be initiatives that will be promoted by the Dicastery for Laity, Family, and Life. Now in our headlines from Tuesday, uh, the Federal Appeals Court blocked Governor Cuomo's restrictions on the size of religious gatherings. So this is a huge victory for religious freedom in New York, as well as Connecticut. And of course, the Beckett Fund, Thomas Beckett's feast day was yesterday, the Beckett Fund is representing uh, the Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn. Um, the bishops of Argentina, of course, have been criticizing the government for their incomprehensible urgency with establishing abortion, which unfortunately has been established legally in the country, which um, is the homeland of our Holy Father, Pope Francis. And speaking of Pope Francis, he issued a new law on Monday, which is reorganizing the Vatican's finances. So in a document that he issued... He transferred financial responsibilities away from the Vatican's Secretariat of State, which has been ridden by scandal. And he also set out new regulations for the oversight of Peter's Pence. Uh, and we know now that Vatican officials were forced to deny that money raised for Peter's Pence was used to cover losses on a controversial London property deal, which was also overseen by the Secretary of State of the Vatican. Uh, the computer repairman at the center of the Hunter Biden laptop scandal is suing Twitter for defamation. And he's demanding $500 million in damages and for Twitter to publicly retract their um, calling him a hacker. A New York City clinic is under investigation for fraudulently acquiring and administering the COVID vaccine. So Parkhair Community Health gave out 850 initial doses of the vaccine, charging $150 a pop. And so the New York Health Department commissioner announced that they are now under criminal investigation for that. And we saw another Chinese journalist uh, who documented the Wuhan coronavirus outbreak sentenced to jail. Zhang Zan is her name. And she was found guilty, according to the Chinese government, of picking quarrels and provoking trouble. And the British embassy is saying that Zhang is one of at least 47 journalists who are currently in detention in China under false charges. And in, on a lighter note, the relics of St. Maximilian Kolbe were installed in the chapel of Polish Parliament. So Poland is clearly not worried about the separation of church and state. In our headlines from Wednesday, the man who committed an anti-Catholic hate crime is being prosecuted for murder. So Jesse Martinez, a COVID-19 patient who beat a fellow patient to death because he was praying, is being arraigned for murder, elder abuse, and religion, a religiously motivated hate crime. And the victim is David Hernandez Garcia, who is an 82-year-old Catholic Latino man in California. 
Now, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has introduced a bill that combines a $2,000 stimulus with more of the president's interests. This is after the president approved the bill. He signed off on it to avoid a government shutdown. Uh, it was passed by the House, but the Senate has introduced this new bill to uh, include the president's demands for a limit to legal protections on tech companies and for Congress to ensure the integrity of the 2020 election. So we'll see where that goes this week. Um, Catholics are also being asked to pray for the safe return of a kidnapped Nigerian bishop. So he's one of many clergy that have been kidnapped in Nigeria, uh, but the first bishop. And of course, the U.S. State Department has now listed Nigeria among the worst countries for religious freedom. And on Tuesday of this week, we saw President Donald Trump praising St. Thomas Beckett, a martyr for religious freedom, as well as Cardinal Joseph Zen of Hong Kong. So some uh, good Catholic influence coming from the White House. And we also have seen a new strain of coronavirus coming out of Colorado. Um, we are still unsure as to whether the vaccine is effective on it. We also see the Democrats pushing an extreme abortion law after it was vetoed. And these are your headlines for the week. <laughs> that was a fun, Thank you. It was, was quite a, a bit. Headlines. A lot happened. A lot is happening, uh, and we're trying to keep you abreast of all of that. Uh, we read the news at the top of the bottom of every hour, so uh, we'll have more of that when we go back live on January 4th. Plus, we'll have uh, good news. We're actually adding another network on January 4th, so more on that in just a little bit. But St. Joseph Mary Tomasi, pray for us, born in 1649, on September the 12th, 1649, wealthy Sicilian nobility. His uh, father was the Duke of Palermo, in fact, but fast Fascinating fact: When his parents, uh, when 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 he, when Joseph and the rest of his siblings were old enough, and they left the house, leaving his parents as empty nesters, both of them went into religious life. So they 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 got. I think you have to have a dispensation from the bishop to to, to do this. But they aren't the only ones to have done this. Guess who else's parents also did this? Somebody who was just in your news report there, Emily. Uh, Maximilian Kolbe's parents did the same thing. As soon as they were empty nesters, they both went into religious life. So Joseph Mary Tomasi, uh, kind of unique that way. Now, he was uh, he lived kind of like a hermit of sorts, very given to theology and philosophy and liturgy. Wrote many books under a surname of Joseph Marie Carus. He uh, was very pious, and to some of his detractors did say he was overly scrupulous. He turns out that he was the confessor of Cardinal Albani. Now, fascinating fact, again, when Cardinal Albani was elected Pope, he didn't want to take the, he didn't want to say yes to this. But it was Joseph Marie, Mary Tomasi that said, if you don't take this, you will be committing a mortal sin. And then Albani became Clement the Eleventh. Though he insisted he was not worthy, it was uh, Clement the Eleventh who made Joseph Mary Tomasi a cardinal priest. By the way, uh, we just had another example of this most recently when Father Cantala Mesa was uh, made a cardinal and yet still is a priest. It's more traditional for them to be have been bishops or archbishops, but there are examples, and Joseph Mary Tomasi is one of them. Again, known for his knowledge, his humility, his charity, and his reforming work, he enjoyed teaching the catechism to children 
and it is said he was able to predict the date of his death. And he did die on January the 1st, 1713. Uh, St. Joseph Mary Tomasi, pray for us. The gospel today is uh, comes to us from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. I'm going to read from the Douay-Rheims version today, uh, because why not? It's the, uh, it's the version that's read at the TLM, the last gospel, every Mass. It says, quote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was made nothing that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness to give testimony of the light, that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but was to give testimony to the light. That was the true light, which enlighteneth every man that cometh into this world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave them power to be made the sons of God, to them that believe in his name who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory, as it were, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John beareth witness of him, and crieth out, saying, This was he of whom I spoke. He that shall come after me is preferred before me, because he was before me. And of his fullness we all have received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. The Gospel of the Lord. This is the uh, the infamous uh, passage, the prologue of John's Gospel, and it's uh, it's epic in its nature. One of the couple of really quick points on this: I love the parallels between John chapter one and Genesis chapter one. The creation theme, the motif that John employs, it, not just here in John one, but you actually see this theme of creation continue on. If you follow, there's a great parallel between John chapter one and two, and into three, uh, all the way into, or rather, forgive me, Genesis one. 1, 2, and 3, all the way into John chapter 3. You'll see the, rep- the same repetition of, and the next day, and the next day, which culminates on the seventh day, which is the wedding feast at Cana, similar to the wedding uh, we see in John chapter, the end of John chapter, or Genesis chapter 2, and beginning in Genesis chapter 3. We all know what happens back there. So we see this beautiful parallel and this theme being used by John in his epistle, and it starts right here, or his gospel, boy, I my mind is switched off, apparently, in his gospel, starting right here in John chapter 1. So it's quite beautiful. And I also love the play of darkness versus light. Again, a theme drawn straight out of Genesis chapter 1, when the light is spoken and created, and it's just this beautiful image that the source of all light is Christ himself, and he 
tabernacles amongst us. Again, drawing from Old Testament themes, just like the tent in the wilderness uh, there that was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and God's presence was there among the people. So now, even in a more perfected way, we see Christ tabernacling among us, this great tent. And by the way, his uh, his mother, Our Lady, the Mother of God, whose feast day it is, uh, she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit in the exact same way, but even more powerful way that the tent in the wilderness was and the temple that Solomon built when the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah, came and overshadowed the temple or the tabernacle in the wilderness. Our Lady was overshadowed and she conceived and bore a son and he was the Savior of the world. So this beautiful themes that John the Apostle brings to us, it's so powerful and it gives us so much meat to bite into. So I would encourage you today to go back and study those Old Testament references and uh, and enjoy the fact that they come to their greatest fulfillment in the New Testament. Uh, Adrian, any points there? Yeah, so I was uh, I was thinking about why we say it at the uh, in the traditional mass. Why do we say read the, the Gospel of John chapter one uh, every single mass? Uh, and um, it really struck me because the the tradition of doing it is a fairly recent tradition. It started only about eight hundred years ago. And the, and the reason why they started doing it was it became a prayer of thanksgiving to God to recognize that, uh, what we just received during the mass was a, was, was not, it's not just bread and it's not simply something special, something symbolic. It is the word made flesh. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God and the word became flesh in Jesus Christ. And so. I think it's a very important thing to meditate on. And it's also an important thing like, so even in the, in the new mass, we, you can still at the end of mass, um, after mass is over, go kneel down, pull out your gospel, pull out your Bible and start reading John chapter one and just go through and read it as a prayer of Thanksgiving at the end of mass. It's a great practice to start doing. Um, especially whenever we think about just like you were saying, the, the Maria's Theotokos being the, the tabernacle in which our Lord resided in. And so we have this, uh, our Lord tabernacling among us. So I think that's a very important thing to recognize and a beautiful prayer that we could start saying in our daily lives starting today. Amen. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. We're going to go to break. We're going to come back. We have a what's concerning us section. And then later in the show, uh, just probably another 15 or 20 minutes or so, we'll be speaking with Tim Staples from Catholic Answers about the Marian dogma, Theotokos, Mother of God. What is the history here? Why does the church teach this? And how can we help others better understand all of that coming up in Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. More on the way. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Some atheistic scientists claim we don't need God to explain the universe because science is sufficient to get the job done. But is this true? The answer is no, and here's the reason. Science could never negate the need for God because it can't give an exhaustive explanation of the universe. First, it relies on the inductive method in order to validate its hypotheses. As such, scientists can never be certain they've discovered every piece of data necessary to give a complete explanation. They must always be open to discovering something new that could alter their current theory. Furthermore, science presupposes an existing universe to observe and explain. Thus, it could never explain why the universe exists in the first place rather than not. Science has explanatory power, but not enough power to negate the need for God. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. 
Have you ever noticed that the world associates fanaticism with religion? But G.K. Chesterton says that the strangest fanaticism that fills our time is the fanatical hatred of morality, especially of Christian morality. It is the irreligious who are fanatical in their hatred of religion. They hate religion because religion is the only basis for morality. They hate morality because it is clear. And they prefer things to be vague. Vague to the point where they can call wrongs rights. But we cannot call something a right when it defies God's laws. We can only call it a sin because all rights come from God. And God is not going to break his own laws. Neither should we. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Uh, by the way, you can find us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, on YouTube, plus we're on Instagram, I post to Parlor. A couple of ways to find us. One is just by searching for at GRN online, but you can also search for Catholic Drive Time. I know Emily maintains our Instagram account. I'm posting on Parlor under my private uh, Catholic hack uh, line there, but we're also on Twitter as well. So check us out on all of those platforms. But on Facebook, we post individual hours. We post individual interviews, and you can like and share uh, and comment there as well. But we also post the links on our Facebook uh, feed at facebook.com forward slash uh, GRN online. So there's one way to do it. Now, welcome to the, we call this the What's Concerning Us section of the show, the, show, the segment where we talk about various uh, articles or stories that are out there and they're kind of concerning. One, I think, to me, is the story that's coming out of the National Catholic Register about the new controversy that erupts over, over the rebuilding of Notre Dame. You might recall a fire took out the roof of Notre Dame. What was that? Was that, has it been? Two years now since that happened, or at least it feels like it was yesterday. I guess it was a year ago. It it feels like it's been forever, but it's been just about a year ago, and there there was a lot of controversy about whether or not they would rebuild the spire uh, in the same way it was before, and we saw that iconic video of it collapsing under under heavy flame. Well, I guess that's been resolved, but now they're discussing rebuilding the interior in a more modern style. According to this article over at the National Catholic Register, a leak in the French media suggested the building uh, of the interior of the building of the cathedral is tilting towards a more contemporary style. But the Archdiocese of Paris insists no decision will be made before the end of March. I, I wonder... Has this been leaked so that they can prepare the audience, prepare the the people for uh, the audience, uh, prepare the people uh, for what will inevitably inevitably become a more modern style of Notre Dame? And I wonder how we feel about that. I am not happy. You know, I think it's interesting that you had that Freudian slip of saying audience, because (laughs) I think it's actually it's it's really telling about what it's become in in France. What has what is Notre Dame? It's not it's not a church anymore. I mean, it, there, it is still a church, and there is mass said there, but yes. it's become a tourist trap. It all it is is like they're how they're trying to figure out how can we best leverage the Notre Dame not for religious purposes, but to rake in money, and that and it's sad the way it's become. Well, one of the things I think should be, I think most of us probably did not know prior to Notre Dame burning, unfortunately, 
was that uh, the church doesn't actually uh, maintain possession of these buildings. The right. state does. Mm-hmm. Ever since the French Revolution, uh, church property is under the control of the state. Now, I don't personally know how much can you know how much say the Archdiocese of Paris has. I mean, like I said in this article, which we can link to from the National Catholic Register, it's the Archdiocese of Paris that's saying, no, 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 decisions have not yet been made, but you're sort of alluding that you might make a decision that seems to uh, suggest anyway that we're going to be updating this beautiful this beautiful church that millions of people from all over the world have come to see Mm -hmm. to something more modern. And that's kind of scary in many ways. Um, So I don't know. I, 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 part of me says, you know what? We get what we get when we allow things like the French revolution to continue on in this way. I mean, the French Vendée tried to stop it. Yeah. I don't know. Emily, you have any thoughts here? Yeah. So my friend Marissa and I took a a tour of uh, Italy last year and it was really shocking to see going into that you'd have to pay to get in some, into some of the cathedrals there. And the attitude inside, yes. it was noisy, it was irreverent, it was immodest. Yes. It really, it's, it's so scenic, and people forget that this is a holy place. We should be treating this with the... Uh, this is a temple of God. The tabernacle is located here. And people are treating it as though it's a, a tourist destination. Mm-hmm. So, I'll never yeah. forget going to the Netherlands on work uh, many years ago on a work trip. And uh, as a Catholic, I had a moment. So I, I just went to the nearest church. I wanted to pray. And then there was a line and then they were taking money at the door. And I'm like, why am I paying to get in here? I, I just want to pray. I want to find the tabernacle and I want to pray as close to the tabernacle as possible. And they're like, no, you got to pay to get in here. And I was just so shocked and scandalized by that. Uh, mm-hmm. Very naive of me to, to think that like in America, we can visit our cathedrals, our basilicas, our shrines, or even our local church and just pray and just have that moment of opportunity. But in many places throughout Europe, they're more touristy than they are prayerful. And and even in our in Basilica, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, th- I have a good friend who was a, a flight attendant for many years on that trip, and he would often go to St. Peter's to pray and do adoration, and he had to establish a relationship with the ushers so they would recognize him and they would let him in to pray in adoration versus treat him like a tourist. Wow. Um, and it's kind of a, it's a tragedy. But so I really hope and pray that uh, the Notre Dame is rebuilt in the way it was before. And that I hope it continues to uh, create a, an inspiration in the hearts of French people, especially young French people, a desire to grow closer to Christ and come back to their Catholic roots. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, we saw that video of so many young people kneeling and praying and watching the, the building burn. Um, and I hope that that uh, wakes them up a little bit. So we'll see how that story develops. But we'll be linking to this story as well. You can again, you can find it at National Catholic Register. We have uh, we got a couple of minutes before we go to break again. And we're going to have uh, I don't know where we cover any more news, or we'll probably just jump into our conversation with Tim Staples if he's on with us. We're going to be speaking with Tim from Catholic Answers about Mary, the Mother of God, and uh, the dogma that the Church has proclaimed. Why? And uh, wh- where do we get this? Are there, what are the roots for this? And what can we do to help non-Catholics or even Catholics that don't understand it, better understand it in celebration of Mary as Theotokos, as Mother of God? So there's that story. And then one real quick story I want to mention as I, I took a chuckle when I saw this headline. Uh, Breitbart reporting this. CNN reporters admit change in coverage after Trump 
shouldn't <laughs> they say goes on to say shouldn't whip up Biden pre- presidency. So uh, this is actually kind of an amusing story. Um, Jim Acosta from CNN is like saying, "Oh, there's no reason to give Biden a hard time." You know, we he, he he's basically saying that he felt he had to give Trump a hard time because uh, Trump was so anti-press. You know, well, and, it's, um, it's kind of funny because I mean, this is uh, everybody who's who's paying attention already knew this, and Project Veritas with James O'Keefe has right. been releasing an hour long footage <laughs> yes. of interviews that he's of uh, of meetings with CNN staff on his page at Project Veritas. And it's it, all it is is he just hit record on meetings of CNN, yes. and if you listen to it. It's absurd to listen and, and see how they're just blatantly, obviously biased against anything that's against their beliefs. They're not trying yeah. to be uh, impartial at all. It's kind of ridiculous. It is kind. And uh, they quote Acosta in this article. It says, I don't think the press should be trying to whip up the Biden presidency and turn it into a must-see TV in a contrived way, unquote. Uh, okay, well... It seems a uh, double standard to me. You know, uh, if you're going to hold Trump accountable, great, wonderful. Praise God. You ought to. You're the press. But you ought to do the same thing for President Biden. And if you don't intentionally, then that is a disservice to the American people. And uh, and that would be a tragedy, in my opinion. But I guess that's the way it goes. Again, I think this the reason why I took a chuckle at this is because of the growing uh, bias and censorship that we are seeing on a grand scale, not just across media, but also on social media platforms. And we've talked a lot about that on the show so far. But, uh, of course, uh, President Trump is, you know, he, he loves his Twitter handle, doesn't he? He likes to slam. He, he did have a great time calling Acosta fake news multiple times in press pressers there at the White House. So I guess there was a lot of fun in that. But at any rate, those are a couple stories there that are in the news. Any other stories before we go to break? Yeah, I actually, I've been looking into, I've been doing some research into what's going on in Belarus because, of course, we heard that clergy and even a bishop are, are being uh, detained by the government there. And so uh, I looked into it. So Belarus is a country east of Poland, north of Ukraine, in between Poland and Russia. And it seems as though the president there, he's been the president of Belarus as long as they've had a president, so since 1994. And they say they're calling him the last dictator of Europe. And um, so he's taken total control there. And so the clergy are speaking out against uh, his authoritarianism. And um, there have been lots of protests. So Belarus, according to this headline here, has been the most dangerous country for journalists in 2020. So just an wow. interesting bit of news from, from Europe there. That's crazy. The most dangerous. That's insane. Well, praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. It's a great opportunity for us to bring to you the stories that concern us, that are out there, that we should be paying attention to. But coming up after the break, we will uh, have Tim Staples on from Catholic Answers. Uh, long time, uh, a long time great Catholic apologist to talk about Mary as mother of God defending the dogma. That's coming up next after the break. Don't go anywhere. More of Catholic Drive Time is coming up next. What does the word apologetics mean? The word apologetics is derived from an ancient Greek word apologia or apologia, which means an apology. 
Not an apology in the modern sense of the word, which is to say you're sorry for something, but rather an apology in the ancient sense of the word, which is to make a reasoned defense of something or someone. In ancient times, the word apology referred to the case a lawyer would make on behalf of his client. So apologetics is about building the case for our faith, learning how to explain and defend our faith. Basically, there are three types of apologetics, natural, Christian, and Catholic. Natural apologetics builds the case for truths that we can know from the natural light of reason, truths that are able to be known without any divine intervention, truths such as the existence of God, the innate spirituality of the human soul, the objective reality of right and wrong, truths which the articles of our faith rest upon and build upon. Christian apologetics, on the other hand, builds the case for divinely revealed truths, truths that cannot be known by reason apart from faith. Truths such as the reality of biblical miracles, the divinity of Christ, the virgin birth, and the resurrection, to name a few. Catholic apologetics encompasses all of Christian apologetics since Catholicism is the fullness of Christianity, but Catholic apologetics tends to focus on those truths of Christianity that are not generally believed by non-Catholic Christians. Truths such as the Catholic Church having been founded by Jesus Christ, the papacy, the sacraments, the Immaculate Conception, and others. Again, the three main types of apologetics are natural, Christian, and Catholic. And in this course, we will be focusing mainly on Catholic apologetics, how to explain and defend the truths of our Catholic faith. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's good to be on with you. Emily and Adrian are hanging out with us, but uh, our special guest right now is Tim Staples from Catholic Answers, way out in uh, California, and... Uh, Praise God, Tim. I, hopefully you're okay. We hear that there's a, an uptick in cases out there, and hopefully you've sheltered in place like, uh, like your governor is demanding of you to do. Of course. Of <laughs> course. We obey our, our wonderful governor. <laughs> I say kind of tongue-in-cheek. I know. No, we're, yeah, doing, we're doing great. Uh, we're, and, and praise be to God, we're doing great at Catholic Answers as well Good. in the midst of it all. You know, we took kind of a downturn donations wise but we're in a great place right now it's a great time to be catholic amen to that praise be to jesus and it's also a great day to celebrate mary as mother of god theotokos and uh we wanted to have a conversation i I, i'm a convert to the church i know you are tim of course your uh, jimmy swagger made me catholic was so uh so good and wonderful entertaining for me it was alistair Begg, the great scottish anti-catholic that helped me to uh to uh, grow towards the catholic faith it was something he said to me or he didn't say to me personally but he was preaching on uh, on radio one day many years ago and he said it was constantine that invented all this catholicism and and i said oh well then i'll just go do my research and I'll study everything before Constantine and and that helped to uh, put me on the path now mother of God though was one of the hard ones for me I mean the, yeah. the, the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist that was the that was the hinge once I said yes to that I just accepted everything else on faith I still struggled with Our Lady and mother yeah. of God was one of those brain twists how could how could a creature be the mother of the divine? And I think a lot of people are in this boat, and I'm hoping, uh, Tim, you might shed more light on that today. Yeah, I, I was right there with you, Joe. That was a big one for me. 
And I think it's rooted in, in a couple of misconceptions. Number one being that if, in fact, Mary's the mother of God, she would have to be God. Mm. Because one of the ways Jesus reveals his divinity and his divinity is revealed in sacred scripture is the revelation that he is the only begotten son, right? Monogenes, the only begotten son of God. And as such, he would share the same nature as his father. Dog has dog, cat has cat, bird has bird. Well, God. Seems to make sense. God. And so you use that language, mother of God, you're making a quadrinity, right? That was a big one for me. And of course, that fails to un- understand that when we say Mary is the mother of God, we are not saying she is the source of the divine nature. That would be absurd as well as heretical. We are simply making this the what is a, a historical fact as well as a biblically revealed fact. We are stating the fact that Mary gave birth to a person, and that person is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. It necessarily follows, then, that she is the mother of God. And I'll tell you what lit me up, Joe. Many years ago, 1986, I watched a debate between Father Mitch Paqua and my mentor from afar, Dr. Walter Martin, uh, who was the, the, the founder of the Christian Research Institute the Bible answer man, right? Great yeah, guy, too, by the way. He was a really loving man, loved Jesus. Ended up becoming good friends with, with Father Pacwa. But I, I remember watching that debate, and it was Father Pacwa that pointed out to him he had that same flawed thinking that we're creating a, a quadrinity. We're, we're saying, you know, Mary, as the mother of God, there, therefore she is God. He said, well, look, in regular human reproduction i'll use the example of me and my first of seven kids uh timmy when he was born in 2003 well when he in fact when he was conceived when he was conceived in his mother's womb he was just as human as his mother and father he he was and is fully human has the same nature that we do right and yet we did not give him his his soul, his immortal soul. Mm. His mom and dad did not communicate to him his immortal soul. That is given to him by God, directly and immediately created, necessarily so from a philosophical level. Because, of course, part of the soul can't come from mom and part from dad. That would be the error of traditionism. It would be philosophically absurd because the soul is pure spirit. It's simple. There are no parts. You can't get part from dad, part from mom. It's got to be directly created by God. And, of course, Ecclesiastes 12, 7 in the Bible says that when we die, our bodies go to the dust. Our spirit returns to God who gave it. So notice it's God who creates the soul. But here was the key for me. Mm. Would it therefore follow if me, my wife and I did not give to me his soul, but only his body. Does that mean for the rest of his life, he should approach me and say, hello, father of my body? And to his mother, hello, mother of my body. Of course not. Why? Because when my wife gave birth, she didn't give birth to a body. She didn't give birth to a soul. She gave birth to a person. And that person is a hylomorphic being, a body-soul composite. So she is his mother. Well, in the same way, this was one of those light bulb moments when, when I saw 
that in the same way, when Mary gave birth, she didn't give birth to a nature. She didn't give birth to two natures. She didn't give birth to a body. She gave birth to a person. And that's the real question, isn't it, Joe? Mm. The real question is, who is that person (laughs) that Mary gave birth to? Because if you deny that that person is God, you are in all kind of trouble. We're talking major heresy here. But she gave birth to a person who is the second person of the Blessed Trinity, who possesses, and uniquely in the universe, two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. But she gave birth to him, the divine person. Therefore, once again, it necessarily follows She is the mother of God. And Joe, when I realized, and I'm sure you you went down this road as well, when I realized, because even after I saw it, I still tried to deny Mary's mother of God because of my anti-Catholic bias. (laughs) Amen. I still tried to fight it. But then I realized that every which way I tried to deny Mary's the mother of God, I ended up a heretic. Because you end up... (laughs) You know, either creating two persons, well, Mary, like Jimmy Swaggart, in his book, Catholicism versus Christianity, he, he does this. Walter Martin, in his Kingdom of the Cults, 1977 edition, they do this, say that, well, when Mary gave birth, she didn't give birth to the divine Jesus. She only gave birth to the human Jesus. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? You've just created a second person in the Blessed Trinity. And when you do that, what you do essentially is you remove uh, Jesus from the inner life of God. That is, you take, you remove him from the second person of the Blessed Trinity and you set him outside of the Godhead and you create, I like to call it a dude. You use <laughs> California language, you create a dude who has no power to save anyone, because we know, Joe, in order to be the one mediator between God and men, as we see in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus had to be, according to the revelation we've been given, he had to be fully God, mm. so that he could make a sacrifice of infinite dignity that could bridge the gap between sinful man and God, and he had to be man in order that he could, in fact, offer sacrifice because God can't, right? And to offer fitting sacrifice. So he is, in fact, the God-man Jesus Christ, the second person of Blessed Trinity Incarnate. And Joe, I was in a really uncomfortable position when I realized my denial of Mary as mother of God left me a heretic. And it, it ended up with me creating a Jesus that can't save me. Amen. Wow, that's powerful. Emily? Yeah, hi Tim, Emily here. So I was hi. wondering, when did this teaching arise? Was this Constantine? How or how how far back does it go? Yeah, beautiful, awesome question. It goes as far back as, of course, the New Testament in Luke chapter one, verse forty-three, when Elizabeth declared, "Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come unto me?" As the Catechism of the Catholic Church points out, there she declares him to be. The mother of God. Now, some will argue, well, she didn't say mother of God, she said mother of the Lord. Well, when you understand, she's quoting 2 Samuel chapter 6, 9, verse 9, almost verbatim, where King David experiences a powerful manifestation of the old covenant, Ark of the Covenant. Mm. And he says, Who am I that the Ark of my Lord should come unto me? 
Elizabeth uses that very verse under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and declares, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come unto me? Of course, this is uh, Mary being revealed as the new covenant, Ark of the Covenant. And we all know that the Ark of the Covenant was not the Ark of some human being, the Ark of some potentate. Amen. Pause there, Tim. Pause there. We're going to go to a break. We're going to come right back. We'll continue our conversation with Tim Staples from Catholic Answers. Good stuff. About Mary, the mother of God. So don't go anywhere. More Catholic Drive Time is coming up next. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that most modern philosophies are very dark and depressing? As G.K. Chesterton says, most people in our world today have been forced to be happy about the little things, but sad about the big ones. But that's not the way we were meant to be. We were meant to be joyful. Sadness is only an interlude. Praise should be the permanent pulsation of the soul. The Christian is able to deny himself immediate pleasures because there's great joy and fulfillment inside him. The pagan must constantly seek after pleasure because there's great sadness and emptiness inside him. Joy, which is the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Let's share the secret. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. There will come a day when each of us will be asked to review the movie of our life and give an account to God. We will sorrowfully relive the bad times and joyfully revisit the good. Thankfully, no matter what you've done, there is hope. Since Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you've been away from church for a while, we invite you to come home and find the peace that only comes from God. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. We're talking with Tim Staples about Mary as Mother of God. It's uh, the feast day of Mother of God, Theotokos. And, uh, you know, Tim, uh, we're talking before the break. One of the passages you referenced was Revelation, uh, I think Revelation 12. And I, I found this always very interesting now that I've, you know, converted to the Catholic faith these many years. Protestants still will always try to twist verses because they just can't seem to get with Our Lady having any special role. And I love in uh, Revelation 12 when Our Lady is depicted as the Ark of the New Covenant, you know, the, the mother of, of this person who becomes, you know, uh, the, the son of David, the ruler with rolls with an iron rod. You know, yeah, the Gibirah. And uh, so she, the, 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 the son is a very specific person. Uh, but yeah. the lady all of a sudden becomes this ambiguous, you know, sort of thing. And they, they can't bring yeah. themselves to admit that if the son is a person, then the, the, the woman who gives birth to that son is also a person. Uh, how do you help people overcome that barrier? Yeah, I, I think this is, in fact, uh, you know, to get back to the question uh, that Emily asked earlier, as far as, you know, did this thing get created with Constantine? Not only do we have the, the New Testament reference, like I gave from Luke one forty three that reveals Mary to be the Ark of Almighty God, you know, and, that, and that's very clear. But from day one among the fathers of the church, the teaching is unanimous. You have... Uh, St. Ignatius in his um, letter to the Ephesians, section 18, 
that explicitly teaches Jesus as God. You have St. Irenaeus in multiple places teaches explicitly that she is God. And as I say, it's unanimous among the fathers. Well, this is most likely why it's so unanimous. The very text you're looking at from the book of Revelation is so clear that Mary is, in fact, the mother of, of God. And it it you know harkens back to Genesis chapter 3. There's an obvious parallel here. It's revealing Mary to be not just the Ark of the Covenant, which it does in chapter 11, verse 19, which leads into chapter 12. Mary's revealed to be the Ark of the, of the Covenant, bodily present in heaven. But then you have the woman. And as you mentioned, there's four main characters in Revelation chapter 12. And that is the fulfillment of Genesis 3. Think about it. You have in Genesis 3, Adam, Eve, the devil, and the angel, right? The angel with the fiery sword. In the New Testament, what do you have? You have the woman. Okay, we won't say it's Mary yet. But you have the woman. You have Jesus, the archangel, Michael, and the devil. So, the, all four, uh, oh, excuse me, we can't mention Mary yet. All four in the Old Testament are real persons. And three out of the four are real persons in the New. To say that the woman is exclusively, as I used to say as a Protestant, exclusively the people of God, the church, or even the Old Covenant people of God, is biblically absurd. Mm. Yes, we have to begin with the literal level, as Cardinal Ratzinger uh, famously said, Pope Benedict XVI, that you must begin all biblical exegesis. And by the way, Joe, our Protestant friends agree with us on this. We have to begin on the literal level, because if you jump right to the spiritual level, you have no grounding, and you're going to end up in all sorts of absurdities. So on the literal level, said Pope Benedict, who is being depicted as the woman? It is obvious it is a real person, and that person is Mary. Clearly, it is Mary who gives birth to Jesus, and whoever this woman is, she gave birth to Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Emily, I think you had a follow-up question. Right. So the, the sub-tuum presidium, right, a third-century prayer to Mary, This, I think this would acknowledge her as the Theotokos. What kind of responses do you get? Do, are Protestants aware of this prayer, and how do they reject it? Oh, the overwhelming majority of them, Emily, and we at Catholic Answers, we deal with folks every single day. There is never a day that I am not in communication with Protestants of all sorts, people of other world religions as well. But we are constantly, and it is rare that you find a Protestant that knows anything more. Even, even the more learned Protestants you will find, they just have pull quotes. From fathers of the church and that becomes obvious I mean even when you read John Calvin for example in his institutes there are times when he just butchers the fathers so bad that you say there's no way he's actually read how could he have read St. Augustine and claim he didn't believe in purgatory you know? and, and they'll even quote from St. Augustine a pull quote where if they just read a few more uh, verses or, or sentences they would have had the answer so that that, to me, is so important for our Catholic audience to know. 
most Protestants simply do not know. And unfortunately, we as Catholics have not been very good at telling them about it. Mm -hmm. And we need to. It's called evangelism, and that is the need of the hour. We have about five minutes left in our conversation with Tim Staples from Catholic Answers, talking about Mary as Mother of God. And I know each and every one of us have people in our lives who just don't understand why the church teaches, the Catholic Church teaches, such crazy things, supposedly, about Our Lady in particular. But there's many others that I'm sure we all hear around Thanksgiving or Christmas, this time of the year when we happen to get together. We've all heard them. Uh, Tim, what would you say is the best advice for Catholics to broach these subjects with friends, loved ones, coworkers, colleagues, what have you, and helping them? uh, What resources, what tools, what, what can we offer to help people better understand Our Lady in particular? First of all, you know, my book, Behold Your Mother, a biblical and historical defense of the Marian doctrines, um, that I put out in late 2014, has done a lot of good. You would not believe the numbers of letters I get from folks who are not Catholic, who somehow a Catholic friend gave it to them, a family member gave it to them, and they read it, and it blew their minds, and they end up Catholic. You know, Amen. so um, I would recommend everybody get a hold of my book, Behold Your Mother, because I I designed that just for our Protestant friends who, like me, have so many mischaracterizations mm-hmm. of what we actually believe. So check it out. And also, in your conversations on New Year's Eve at a party or whatever it is, family coming over, or, or actually, we're past New Year's Eve now. But for the rest of this Christmas season, let's just say in your conversation, focus on Jesus. And the good news is that's what the Marian dogmas do. Essentially, it's all about Jesus. As I point out in my book, when you deny Mary, for example, is the mother of God, you have to answer the question, then who is Jesus? And when you try to answer that question, you end up a heretic. And I use examples like Dr. Walter Martin that I mentioned before. On page 103 of his classic, it's a great book. The Kingdom of the Cults does a lot of good, but oh, when he gets on Catholicism, he gets crazy. But he denies Mary as the mother of God. Now, it's one thing to deny. It's another thing to build a theology based on that denial. And that's when he gets into trouble, when he tries to defend the position that Mary is not the mother of God. And he, he basically comes up with this. He says, well, see, the Catholics got it wrong when they declared Jesus to be the eternal son, because he says sonship is not eternal. Sonship only applies to humanity, not to divinity, right? Mm. So, oh my goodness. In the process of denying Mary as a mother of God, he ends up losing Jesus. He says there's no such Mm. thing as an eternal son. There is no eternal son. He's not the eternal son. He's the eternal word who became the son at the incarnation. Well, oh boy, we'll catch this joke. Not only does he lose Jesus, the eternal son, who we know from John 17, 5, uh, Jesus prays, Father, thou glorify, glorify thou me with the glory I had with thee before the world was. He was son before the world was. Colossians 1, 15 also says, he's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were made. So he is the eternal son, even in scripture. But, yo, if you deny eternal sonship, in the next breath, Walter Martin then says, neither is there any verse of scripture that ever refers to the Father as eternal Father. What? What? Yes. Yeah. Now we're in very dangerous ground. As eternal. So guess what? 
not only did he lose Jesus, but he lost the Father, because now we don't even know who God is from all eternity. I had to ask Walter Martin 30 years ago, then who is God in all eternity before there was a creation? Who is he? And the only thing he could say is, well, we don't know at least who the first person is, and we know the second person's the eternal word, and the third person is the eternal spirit. Hebrews yeah. 9.14 refers to the eternal spirit. So in other words, we have the eternal blah, the word, and the Holy Spirit. You lost God. You lost one of the essential reasons why Jesus came to this earth, and that is to reveal God as he is in his life, in his inner life from all eternity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You lost that because you lost the Blessed Virgin Mary. See, if you focus on Jesus and the importance of knowing Jesus and knowing who God is, you can really help somebody to see Mary is the linchpin that will get you to Jesus and get you to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise be to Jesus Christ. You know, uh, one last thought before you say goodbye to Tim Staples here. It, it, so much of what we believe about uh, Our Lady is more of an affirmation of what we believe about her Son, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus the Christ, the one mediator between God and man who has given us life. And Tim Staples, thanks for being on the program today. Catholic Answers, Catholic.com is the website. Get his book, Mother of God. It's well worth it. Tim, God bless you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you and your family. Thank you, brother. Great to be with you. Let's not be strangers. Let's do this again. Amen. We will do it. God bless you all. Thank you for being a part of Catholic Drive Time this first hour. If you can hang out with us in the next hour, we'll have more breaking news and stories, or at least a recap. And Gabriel Castillo from Gabby After Hours will be on to talk about how we might celebrate and make this day a special day for Our Lady even more special. Stick around. More Catholic Drive Time is coming up after this break. God bless you all. on your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. How should I respond to someone who wants to know if I've been saved or born again? Answer with a resounding yes. Tell them that it is through baptism that you are saved, just as the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.20, and that it is through baptism, water and the Spirit, that you are born again, just as the Bible says in John 3, verse 5. Many Protestants believe that they are saved by making a single act of faith at a single point in time in their lives. Nowhere does Scripture say such a thing. Catholics believe that salvation is a process which begins with our baptism and continues throughout our lifetimes, just as the Bible teaches us. Many places in Scripture talk about how one is saved, but not one of them says we are saved by one act of faith at just one point in time. Again, 1 Peter 3.20 says that we are saved by baptism. Hebrews 12.14 says that we will not see the Lord unless we are holy, and that we must strive for this holiness. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, it says we must forgive others or we will not be forgiven. Can you attain salvation if God hasn't forgiven you? No. So our forgiving others is necessary for 
our salvation. John 6 verse 54 says that we will have eternal life by doing something, eating the flesh and drinking the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Matthew 19 verses 16 and 17, Jesus is asked directly what one must do to have eternal life. Did he say, accept me into your heart once and that's it? No. Jesus said to keep the commandments and you will have life. Yes, as Catholics we are born again, and as Catholics we believe that we were saved, as Paul says in Romans 8.24, that we are being saved, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, and that we will be saved, as Paul says in Romans 5 verses 9 and 10, provided we persevere and keep our eyes on the prize. Salvation is a process, just as Catholics believe, and just as the Bible clearly teaches. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. The Daily Mass is moving to the afternoon. Holy Mass has been a beloved component of our programming lineup for 20 years in the early morning time slot on the Guadalupe Radio Network. We are excited to announce that the 3 p.m. hour will become a holy hour, starting with the Divine Mercy Chaplet, followed by sacred music or spiritual reflections, and concluding with the Holy Mass at 3.30. The Holy Mass on the Guadalupe Radio Network, every weekday at 3.30 p.m. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you this morning. Good morning and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You've made it. 2020 is over. It is done. You've moved on. Praise be to God. Let's pray that 2021 brings some, I don't know, peace, normalcy, whatever you like. Some chastisements. No, no, we've had enough. Well, actually, we haven't, but let's let's just say we can go back to, quote, normal, unquote. At any rate, before we get too lost down that rabbit hole too far, good morning to you. It's good to be on with you. Uh, Emily Alcarez is with us this morning. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Praise God we survived it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, of course, Adrian Fonseca is on the ones and twos again this morning. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Ones and twos, threes and fours, something like that. I don't know what's going on. on. You young people today, you need to get with the lingo of the, of the elderly. The one the elderly, of the elderly, yes. We'll exchange lingo. How about that? We, we should do a segment on that. We should do a segment on that. We should. That would be kind of fun, actually. But We, uh, we no, teach you some, uh, some, some amazing modern uh, speech, and you teach us what old people talk about. Like, uh, what do they call them? Diss tracks or disc jockeys? <laughs> I don't know. What do you say? Back in my day, okay? Back in my day, we called it the ones and twos. New year, man. New year. They were vinyl record players, all right? Anyway, uh, good morning and praise God. We're going to have a great show lined up this hour. We have Gabriel Castillo on. Uh, he is with Gabby After Hours, the YouTube channel. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, boy, you're missing out. You should go to YouTube and check out Gabby After Hours. You're going to love his uh, incredible gift to create high-quality video that teaches and instructs the faith. And he has a particular passion for Our Lady. And today is the Feast of the Mother of God. Of course, last hour we spoke with Tim Staples. This hour is Gabriel Castillo, and we're so excited. Plus, 
We are going to have a game show, but it's not going to be the normal game show because this is a pre-recorded and we're, we're not actually in the studio to take your calls. So no phone calls today, but we will actually have a game show because we have a contestant in the studio, a guest. Emily, who did you bring with you today? So my friend Marissa is visiting from Tacoma, Washington. She's been staying with me this week. She's going to be our guest for the show today. Well, I hope she's ready. I've saved all the hardest questions uh, for uh, Marissa today. So hopefully and if she, she wins, I'm buying her lunch. So if she wins, you're buying lunch. Praise God for that. So plus, uh, you're going to give us a recap of this week's breaking news stories. And uh, we'll have saint of the day, gospel day and and so much more. So let's start with prayer. Bring your intentions together for 2021, for your family, for your friends, for whatever your needs are materially, uh, maybe with health or financial or, or spiritually, whatever you're facing. Let's ask Our Lady to uh, to bring them to her son. I'm praying for the Guadalupe Radio Network and for the Stations of the Cross. I'm praying for our team, our equipment, our, our family members and our needs, of course, for the repose of the soul of Armando. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now the uh, news highlights for the week from Emily Alcarez. These are your highlights from the last week of December 2020. Uh, this week on Monday, we saw the Nashville bomber identified as Anthony Quinn Warner. Of course, he was the one who caused the explosion out of the RV in Nashville that knocked out AT&T wireless service. A Belarusian bishop was allowed to return home after being uh exiled for protesting the election there. Uh, from our Tuesday headlines, we saw Governor Cuomo was blocked. The Federal appeal, Appeals Court, in a win for religious victory, allowed them to uh, suspend the cap on 25 people at, in places of worship. Unfortunately, we saw this week Argentina has legalized abortion, and many people are very disappointed. We have yet to hear a statement from the Pope on this. So hopefully we'll be hearing from the Holy Father uh, on these updates from his homeland. Another Chinese journalist is being detained in China, Zhang Zan. She's one of 47 journalists who are being detained on fraudulent, uh, on really fake charges. From our Wednesday morning headlines, we saw the man who murdered a Catholic man who's praying in a hospital is being prosecuted for murder. Jesse Martinez beat another elderly man, 82-year-old David Hernandez Garcia to death and is now facing charges for murder, uh, elder abuse, and religion-motivated hate crime. The stimulus bill was signed off on by President Trump, passed by the House, and then blocked by the Senate. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell introduced a new bill that would combine the stimulus with more of the president's interests uh, on limiting legal protections for tech companies and making sure Congress can ensure the integrity of the 2020 election. We also saw this week a Nigerian bishop has been kidnapped. He's one of many clergy in Nigeria that have been kidnapped in, in Africa as well, but he's the first bishop. And on Tuesday on the feast day of St. Thomas Becket, we saw the White House releasing a statement 
President Donald Trump praising Thomas Beckett and Cardinal Zen of Hong Kong. Also, we've seen at least two new cases of the new strain of coronavirus in the U.S. so far. Democrats are pushing through an extreme abortion law. And a hospital worker in Wisconsin intentionally destroying doses of the vaccine. And again, back to Argentina. We've been hearing a lot about Argentina this week. So pray for the dignity of life there. And as a reminder, today, Friday, January 1st, is the Solemnity of the Mother of God. So try to get yourself to Mass because it is a holy day of obligation. So these are your headlines from the last week of December 2020. Amen. Praise be to Jesus Christ, St. Joseph Mary Tomasi. Pray for us. Born on September the 12th, 1649 uh, in Sicily. Born to a wealthy Sicilian nobility family. His, uh, I think he was, his father was the Duke of Palermo, in fact. But uh, fascinating fact, when uh, St. Joseph Mary, Mary Tomasi and all of his siblings were raised and moved out of the house and his parents were empty nesters guess what they did they did not go skydiving or cliff diving or shark diving and none of that stuff that normal empty nesters like you and i would do no they actually went into religious life mom and dad went their separate ways and entered the convent they aren't the only family to have done this in the uh, the canon of saints in fact saint maximilian Kolbe's parents did the same thing but uh, he, St. Mary, St. Joseph Mary Tomasi, joined the Theatins in March of 1665. He renounced all of his worldly possessions, his title and everything else in favor of his brother. I think it was four of his sisters became nuns, as a matter of fact. But uh, Joseph Mary Tomasi became an ordained priest on Christmas Day, 1673. But he lived as a hermit and he was often criticized for being over scrupulous. But he was well-read and well-published. He, in fact, published many titles on liturgy and theology and philosophy under the name of Joseph Marie Carus. In fact, he became the confessor to Cardinal Albani. And fascinating fact, when Cardinal Albani was named the next pope, he didn't want to take the job. So he came to talk to his confessor, uh, Joseph Mary Tomasi, who told him that if he didn't take the job, he would be a mortal sin. And thus, Albani became Clement the Eleventh. Now, Clement the Eleventh uh, named uh, Saint uh, then Father Joseph Mary Tomasi to become a cardinal priest, which he did not want, but he took anyway his own advice being remembered. So he became a, a priest cardinal. Now interesting there is just recently Pope Francis named Father Cantala Mesa, the preacher to the papal household, as a priest cardinal. It's, it's not, doesn't happen very often, but there is precedent in the church's history. Now, Father uh, Joseph the Saint Mary Tomasi actually lived the rest of his life with great charity, and he was big on reforming work and, and loved to teach catechism to the children. It is reported that he predicted the very date of his death, and he in fact died on January the 1st, 1713, St. Joseph Mary Tomasi. Pray for us. The Gospel today is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was made nothing that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
This man came for a witness to give testimony to the light that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but was to give testimony to the light. That was the true light, which enlighteneth every man that cometh into this world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave them power to be made the sons of God, to them that believeth in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of, of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory, as it were, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John beareth witness of him, and crieth out, saying, This was he of whom I spoke, he that shall come after me, is preferred before me, because he was before me. And of his fullness we all have received, grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Uh, a few important uh, little points here on this particular passage. I love the play on light versus darkness. I love that line. Darkness, the you know, light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. I love that is such a powerful uh, reality that Christ, the light of the world, the darkness can't even comprehend him. It's such a powerful thing. I've seen other translations say it that uh, the darkness is vanquished by the light. I just love that. But also, you see all these parallels between Genesis and John. John, the apostle, uses very powerfully and strategically these uh, this theme, right? This uh, motif, if you will, of creation, light and darkness, which you read about in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. And he will continue to do that, uh, recreating a new creation. Jesus is bringing about a new creation. He is a new Adam, and a new Garden of Eden, and you will see a new Eve as well that will culminate on the seventh day, just as it does in there in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. You see a new seventh day in a new Garden of Eden at a new wedding reception. Only this time, uh, the, the woman who plays Eve, the woman, in fact, does not give the over to this, this creature who comes invading this garden sanctuary and receives the fruit. She will not do that this time. In fact, the woman will undo the knot that Eve has tied. And so I love John's use of these parallels, these this motif, this theme of creation, light versus dark. And I love the fact that Jesus takes upon flesh and tabernacles amongst us, giving you that same image. If you were a first century Jew, hearing that, reading that, you would have immediately thought of the tabernacle in the wilderness coming out of Egypt. You would have immediately thought of the temple there uh, that Solomon built. 
and how the Holy Spirit came and overshadowed and filled and made his presence there in the temple or even in the tabernacle in the wilderness, just as the Holy Spirit overshadowed Our Lady and made his presence there in her womb. And she is the new ark of the new covenant. It's just so beautiful, the Shekinah glory cloud. So several themes, several opportunities to deep a dive on sacred scripture today and to chew on God's word, especially in light of Mary as mother of God. Adrian, what say you? Yeah, so I think uh, there's, uh, I think what I talked about for the last hour was about the meditation on um, how John chapter one is used at the end of every mass in the traditional mass. Uh, so the actually apparently so I looked it up and apparently the the uh, tradition of reading the last uh, the first uh, the last gospel which is John chapter one at the end of mass comes from actually a Dominican tradition that started they started reading it after mass uh, in the sacristy to do a meditation after mass to meditate on on about what they just did at the word which was preexistent that existed from in the mind of uh, with God and who was God and the word became flesh in Jesus Christ and that that was what we just participated in in that in the uh, sacrifice of the mass and the people the the laymen were like whoa 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 y'all y'all doing that thing in the sacristy we want to see it out here in the on the uh, at the altar <laughs> and so i got dragged out to the end of mass and then it just got into the roman rite as well and uh, that's how it apparently got started uh, doing that that way and so i would encourage people especially like if you're in the new mass absolutely you can do this too at the end of mass uh, just kneel down pull out your uh, your bible and start reading john chapter 1 meditate on what it is that you just participated in i think it's a beautiful tradition Amen. Praise be to Jesus. Well, God is so very good. Now, normally we would say, hey, at this point, we're, we need a contestant for our game show, but not today. This is a pre-recorded episode. We are actually are not in the uh, the studio today, so uh, don't call in for the first time. We're asking <laughs> you not to call in. Normally, we'd be begging you. Not today. We <laughs> but don't call want in on Monday, in. though. <laughs> on Monday. Monday, yes. And by the way, Stations of the Cross joins the team on Monday, so we're, we're looking forward to that. Yay. That's going to be very exciting for our first hour. But uh, we have a, a special version of the trivia game show coming up after. After this short little break uh, where we get to uh, harass or uh, grill or what have you of our uh, our friend from Tacoma, Washington, Marissa's in the studio. And we'll see if she can get these questions right. And we'll let Adrian and Emily also try to authentically answer the questions <laughs> for the first time since the inception of the game show. Uh, all of that coming up in just a few minutes. But don't call, at least not this time. Monday, yes, not now. We'll be right back. More Drive Time is coming up next. without God? Atheists say yes, we Christians say yes, but only to a certain extent. What's our reason? There are some natural human desires that can be satisfied without living for God. The desire for sensory pleasure, success, and loving relationships. There are certain desires, however, that can't be satisfied without God. For example, we don't just desire some love, we desire infinite love, love without limit. This is manifest when we get frustrated with imperfect manifestations of it. The same is true for knowledge, justice, and beauty. Since God alone is infinite in these perfections, only He can satisfy our desires for them. Therefore, to borrow from St. Augustine, without God, our hearts would be forever restless. And my friends, a restless heart is an unhappy heart. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. 
come a day when each of us will be asked to review the movie of our life and give an account to God. We will sorrowfully relive the bad times and joyfully revisit the good. Thankfully, no matter what you've done, there is hope. Since Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you've been away from church for a while, we invite you to come home and find the peace that only comes from God. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Welcome back to Fear and Trembling, that uh, Catholic trivia game show where you get to work out your uh, salvation in fear and trembling. But don't call. Don't call this time because it's a pre-recorded episode. So we have no live callers today. Monday, yes. New game show opportunity on Monday where prizes will be involved. In fact, this week we already gave out the prize and our sponsor was uh, OLArmory.com. Right, Emily? Yes, that's right. They make handcrafted gear for the battle-ready Catholic, and we gave away a paracord rosary to our winner, Sophia. Yeah, congratulations, Sophia. Well done. We're very grateful that you were part of our program. All right, today, so no no, no live calls today. In fact, we're going to have a little fun time with our in-studio guest, Marissa from Tacoma, Washington. Good morning to you. Good morning. Oh, her mic's not on. There it is. Uh, Good morning to now. you. Good morning. There she is. Now, uh, born and raised in Tacoma? No, I was actually born in the East Coast. What part of the East Coast? New Jersey. I am so sorry. (laughs) I didn't live there that long. (laughs) Most sincere, Paul. I'm kidding. It's just a joke. I'm only only teasing. Do you like Tacoma, by the way? What brings you to Tacoma? I am in grad school, actually. Well, it's a joint program. I'm teaching fourth grade, and then I'm in grad school to receive my master's in education. Wow. Praise God. Yeah. Well, God is very good. Now, normally what we would do is we'd have three questions. We would, uh, we would ask Emily and Adrian. One would have a right answer. One would have a wrong answer. And you'd have to just guess 50-50 shot. But I think today, uh, instead what we will do is, because uh, normally it, the whole game is rigged. I don't know if you knew that, uh, but the game is usually rigged. I had a feeling. Uh, uh, poor Adrian gets, <laughs> his parents are so ashamed of him because he gets the easiest questions wrong all the time. <laughs> And they're like, why? Do, well, you're so well-educated, young Adrian. Uh, well, young today, Adrian. That's today, how my parents address me. Today, <laughs> to, I was going to say Padawan, but uh, anyway. Uh, but today, uh, we're going to let them actually answer authentically and see it to see if they know. And then, uh, then oh, you no. can decide if they're right or wrong. Or better yet, Marissa, if you know the answer, you can correct them. Does that sound like a fair deal? Yeah, let's do it. Now, bonus question right out of the gate. Uh, where do we steal uh, fear and trembling from? Do you know the passage? That we steal that from. I, I rip it completely away from St. Paul. Where What passage would that be? Oh, man. Do, 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 We've do, definitely do, said this on here before, so I should definitely know. A <laughs> bunch of times. Philippians? Well, you're giving hints, Emily. Okay. Oh, I was oh, guessing. Time. I you thought I was that wasn't on actually, team. <laughs> this is one of my three questions. This is a bonus question. Oh, gosh. Just, I just wanted to throw a curveball right out of the gate to Marissa is what I wanted to I do. have no idea. I'm going to let you off the hook. Okay. Philippians 2.12. Mm, I'm going to write that down for right. next time you ask. Salvation in fear and trembling. 
Okay. Praise be to Jesus. Okay, here we go. We'll start with, uh, let's see here. I want to pick the hard ones for, for a chance here. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Uh, this one shouldn't be too hard, actually. Uh-oh. Emily, we'll start with you. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> Are you sure you're ready? You don't Usually know what I'm, I'm ready because I already know the question, but this time <laughs> I don't. You have no idea what I'm about to ask you, so All it's right, completely shoot. different this time. Here we go. What was Moses' sister's name? Oh, I, I know this. I just watched The Prince of Egypt over on Christmas. It's Miriam. Darn it. Uh, Adrian, well, you can still answer the way you feel yeah. you ought to because you don't know the answer. Adrian, do, do you concur? Yeah, it's Miriam. Mo- Moses' sister's Or Mary, name whatever, depending Mar- on your translation. All right, let's just see. 15 seconds on the clock. Emily, who's right? Emily, <laughs> who's, you mean... Who's uh, wrong? Marissa. <laughs> You're asking Marissa? Mm. Oh, Marissa. Forgive me, Marissa. <laughs> I'm going to say Emily's right. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I agree. Adrian should always be wrong by default. I totally, I totally Technically, yes. It was in his contract when we hired him. It is, yeah. in fact, Miriam. Very, very good. Okay, here's another one. That's an easy uh, one. It, very easy to start with. Second question, Adrian, starting with you. You should know this, I would argue. Uh-oh. Uh, being a, uh, an altar server. It's you, never you a good science. It's never a good, good uh, starting point. I don't know what this has to do with altar serving, but anyway. <laughs> who is the patron saint of choir boys? Oh, great. I have no idea. <laughs> choir boys? <laughs> um... I dang, I don't know. Saint Stephen? I'm gonna go with Saint Stephen. You're gonna go with Saint Stephen. You're yeah. on the hook for Saint Stephen. Yeah, that's I, that's what I they paid to server, so <laughs> I, I, I see Emily fast typing over there. I'm not sure if she's I am not. <laughs> Emily, uh, Emily, who is the patron of choir boys? Uh okay, well my first guess would be Saint Cecilia, just because she's the only musical saint I can think of. Second guess would be Saint Tarsisius. That's very specific. Tarsisius is a saint good guess. Tarsisius. Yeah. All right, uh, uh, Marissa hmm. from Tacoma, Washington. 15 <laughs> seconds on the clock. Who's I'm, right? Who's wrong? I'm going to go with Emily again just because she gave two guesses. So one of them's oh bound to be right. Gosh, <laughs> we so can split cute. them up. Which one do you want, Cecilia or Tarsisius? Um, I would have said Cecilia. I think they're all wrong. But I, yeah, I think they're all wrong okay, too. Okay, you can take <laughs> Cecilia. I, well, because you said they were all wrong, then you are right. They are, in yes. fact, all wrong. <laughs> Saint <laughs> Dominic Savio. Saint Dominic <gasps> Savio. Oh, come on. Oh my goodness. Should have known that. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Super easy question for the last one. Are you guys ready? Ready. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. You're, you're positive. Not really. Okay, here we go. Uh, we're back to Emily this time. You should really get this right out of the gate here. What is the 11th station of the cross? <laughs> Quickly run through it. I in know your head. this. I know this. <laughs> why are you? No, uh, why are you putting your hands in your face? <laughs> I don't understand. Why do you? Let me count. No, them. the eleventh station of the cross. Okay, Come okay. On, There's fourteen total, right? Eleventh <laughs> <laughs> station of the cross. Emily, uh, we have to put a time limit on this. Okay, Jesus, um, is crucified. <laughs> Jesus nailed to the cross. All right, uh, Adrian Afonseca, what is the 11th station of the cross? Actually, I think it's, all, that, I think it's also nailed to the cross as well. Yeah, You do? Yep. You sure? No, you like well, to, I'm less sure say, now. I was going to say you want to phone a friend, but Marissa's in the studio. <laughs> right. So let's ask Marissa. Marissa, 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Mm, such a hard since they both have the same answer. <laughs> I think I'll be nice. I'll give it to Adrian this time. Aww. I think Adrian's right. <laughs> wow. Well, that goes straight to his ego. Uh, but the good news is, it is, in fact, Jesus is nailed to the cross. Yay. So congratulations, both of you. You were able to uh, get that. That was a tough one. I have to be honest. That was a tough one. Nah, that was easy. 
Well, praise be to God. Do you guys want a bonus question here? Absolutely. Yes, we, yes, got time. Yes. we went through it pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, ooh, I got to come up with a hard one here. Okay, grab one. We'll get one. Uh, we'll do something oh, about. Uh, well, liturgy. this one should be fairly easy. Uh oh. Okay, hold on. What is the. T- okay, we're going to go back to Emily, I guess. Or no, Adrian. Adrian, this time. What is the term for the final phase in the cause of one who is being considered for canonization? The last phase. What is the term for the final phase of the cause of one who is being considered for canonization? That's actually a pretty difficult question. That's very technical. Uh, okay, so you are a servant of God, then you're venerable, and then you're a saint. Or wait, no, you're venerable, no, you're then blessed, blessed and, and then a saint. saint. Is it canonization? Is that the answer? Or beatification? So I don't actually what, know. What exactly answer uh, are you giving? I don't know. <laughs> Choose something. Uh, the canonization. And uh, you're on the hook for canonization. That's what I'm going to go with. Actually, you're oh, going crud. for that. I'm going to get the draw. <laughs> Emily. Emily, what is the term for the final phase and the cause of one who is being considered for canonization? Oh, wait. The considered the for whoa, canonization. Whoa, whoa. Oh, whoa. technicality. Whoa. We He's passed already... on you, Adrian. You had your chance, pal. <laughs> it is now Emily's turn to consider the question. What is the term for the final phase and the cause of one who is being considered for canonization? Okay, I know they have to do like a background check on the saint. They have to <laughs> no, have confirmed miracles. To. I don't know that they do anymore. Oh, they used to do the background check, the devil's advocate, but they don't yeah. anymore, right? No, they got rid of that. Um, I really can't think of the technical term, so I'm going to go with beatification. That's not right either. Oh, I know right. it's not right, but what else so is it? Emily is on the hook for beatification. Marissa might know. Adrian is on the hook for canonization. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock, Marissa. Who's mm. right? Who's wrong? They both sounded a little hesitant with their answers. <laughs> I'm going to go with Emily. Well, survey says, yes, congratulations. The correct answer is beatification. And uh, I don't know, I'm showing it to the camera if you're watching on oh, uh, Facebook or YouTube or whatever. Aye, so you can aye. see that I did not lie. What was fact. the answer? No. Beat- what was the question for no? What was that last question? question? The uh, contumacy... Is contimacy one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? No. No, oh, it is not. Yeah, I've yeah, never yeah, heard yeah, that yeah. word before in my life. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> All right. You know, it's funny thing about the uh, Catholic trivia game show we play. I got the, like, the traditional version, version, so it's like I wanted harder questions, questions that had uh, more to do with the tradition and the history of the church so we can learn a little bit more about our faith. And uh, most of the the, uh, the questions in regards to the liturgy are ones in regards to TLM, so I don't often ask those questions. But I would um, get those right, though. <laughs> you would finally start getting right right questions there. Well, I was very impressed. i got to be honest with you, very impressed with the Stations of the Cross uh, question. You both got that right. I really thought neither one would get that one See, right. we do pray. <laughs> Every once in a while. Yeah, praise God. So, uh, Marissa, what, were you, how do you, what do you think there? Trivia game show, yes or no? Do you think we ought to do it every day or just every few days? Do, did you learn anything? What was your thoughts there, Marissa? I'm a fan. I loved it. I think you should keep doing it every day, especially when there's a prize involved. Yeah. <laughs> when there's a prize. Okay, I'll buy her lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, do you know what the prize will be for next week when we come back from our break? Oh, yes. We've actually got a really great prize lined up for next week. It's the 
the little Catholic box, they're giving away a prayer box that's valued at $150. Whoa. So big, big prize next week. Yes. That is huge. And perfect timing with Stations of the Cross coming on board. So uh, praise God for that. That means we'll be not only in, we'll be on in New Mexico, we'll be on in Texas, we'll be on in Kansas, we'll be on in uh, Alabama and Florida and Virginia and Maryland, but also in Massachusetts, New York and Pennsylvania, I think even in Ohio. So praise God for that. But don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this break. We might have a few headline stories to share with you. Plus, Gabriel Castillo from Gabby After Hours will be on to talk about the mother of God. All that coming up on Catholic Drive Time. We'll be right back. This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and quickly falls asleep, even as their boat is amidst a huge, life-threatening storm. The text says that the sea was literally shaking like an earthquake. Imagine the disciples' fear as they awake, their master saying, Master, do you not care that we perish? Note that they wouldn't have been in this dangerous situation if they had not gotten in the boat to begin with. They are committed, no matter how big the storm. After setting sail in his boat of radical missionary discipleship, it can often seem that God is asleep or uncaring when we are troubled by the storms of life. The good news is that he is in fact always there and always ready to calm the storm when the time is right. Sometimes the storms are there to show us our total dependence on him and not on ourselves. Jesus, we trust in you. Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. Having trouble with your car radio? No worries. The Guadalupe Radio Network has just released our new version of our app. With the app, you can get a crystal clear connection of your local station no matter where you are. You can also listen to podcasts of past shows and find more ways to connect with us. Getting the new app is easy. Just search the App Store on your phone for the Guadalupe Radio Network and either download it, or if you already have it, choose the update option. Happy listening. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Uh, Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus. Normally, we would give you the headline news, but this is a pre-recorded show, so we're not actually sure what's breaking today because we're at home sleeping in bed. Praise be to God. And we're preparing to go to Holy Mass on the feast day of the Mother of God. And so just uh, about uh, a minute from now, we'll be speaking with Gabriel Castillo from Gabby After Hours. Before we do that, though, I want to say you can always get the podcast version of our show on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT is a great place to get the podcast version. But I also want to point out that we post uh, videos, individual hours, plus individual conversations on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com forward slash grnonline. While you're there, do me a favor, like, subscribe, hit the bell notification icon, uh, but share. That's so important to overcome the difficulties of censorship and the algorithms and all of that is sharing. So please do that today. That would be so grateful. You can also find us on Facebook, on, on Twitter. Uh, I post a parlor under at Catholic Hack. And uh, I want to say Emily posts on Instagram. Just look for Catholic Drive Time there as well. But with all that said, joining us right now by Zoom is the uh, the one and only great Gabriel Castillo from Gabby After Hours. Good morning, Gabriel. Good morning, sir. How are you? Praise God I'm alive, and it's so good to be on with you. Thank you for taking the time to be on our show today. It's my pleasure, my pleasure, of course, to talk about the Blessed Virgin. I'll do anything. 
<laughs> you are a slave of the Immaculata, and that's what I love about yes. you most, I think. Um, and let's, she, even though I'm a slave, she pays me well. Well, praise be to Jesus. Let's start by uh, plugging uh, Gabby After Hours, uh, your YouTube channel. You've been on YouTube for quite a long time. You've done such really incredible, and and it gets more beautiful every single day. Tell us about the nature of your programming there, and maybe what's up your sleeve coming down in 2021. We've got a lot coming down in 2020. The inspiration for all of this, obviously, is the theology of Maximilian Kolbe, that we can spread the Immaculata to the ends of the earth and bring Jesus Christ to the world as soon as possible. And we do that using the best technology available to us. And so for 2021, we have, I have a lecture that I'm posting in the next couple of days on the way of Mary. Then we have an epic uh, documentary called Testimonies of the Rosary for Men. We have a video coming out on spiritual warfare. We have uh, a program where we're going to make a home enthronement program with images that people can download so that they can enthrone their own homes uh, virtually, but really, truly by doing the holy water themselves, doing the prayers themselves. And we've got a lot of other great programs coming down the way. So you should subscribe there at Gabi After Hours. And the easiest way to, because you're like, what is this Gabi? How do you spell Gabi? That's a weird name. You can just go to (laughs) www.truefaith.tv and then you can find out more information there. TrueFaith.tv will, of course, post links to it uh, along with this video as well. So TrueFaith.tv or just search for Gabi, G-A-B-I, After Hours on YouTube. You'll find it. I promise you'll be blown away. It'll be amazing. Let's talk about Our Lady and let's talk about uh, her being the mother of God. In the last hour, we spoke with Tim Staples, uh, sort of a well-known Catholic apologist working for Catholic Answers about the the biblical defense and the history behind uh, the church's teaching on Our Lady as mother of God. I, I want to turn to you and maybe talk more about the uh, the spiritual side of it or the practical yes. side of how do we live our lives as uh, yes. Our Lady being the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I, I want to first mention why. Right now, we're living in a time where it feels as if the church church is going through a great mediocrity and a great failure. But if you look throughout the history of the church and the history of salvation, the ones who were the greatest, the ones who were the most heroic were the most Marian, starting with Jesus himself. You couldn't get any more Marian than Jesus. He gave himself totally over to the Virgin Mary. St. Joseph, this is the year of St. Joseph. He was completely consecrated to the Virgin Mary. St. John the Apostle, St. John Paul II, St. Paul, all of the greats were heroically Marian, and they derived their strength from Mary. So if people are living a mediocre lives, the first place they should check is, where's, where's Mary in my life? A lot of times people make a Marian consecration and they say, well, what is Mary going to do for me? Because Mary's got a lot of power. She's got a lot of privileges. But because of Mary's power, we should be saying, what should I do for Our Lady? Sometimes we think, well, Mary's my mother. She's my queen. My mom will do this, that, and the other thing, and she'll do many things for us. But Jesus, the perfect model of Marian devotion, would, as a good child, would say, Mary, what do you want of me? And so that's very important. And sadly, through the Protestant Reformation, according to Maximilian Kolbe, a great theologian, as you know, he would say that one of the worst, there's many bad things that happened because of the Protestant Reformation, but one of the devil's most insistent snares that he has spread through Protestantism is our second guessing our relationship with the Virgin Mary and causing us to doubt how much we can love Mary. And he would go on to say that nobody can love Mary more than Jesus did. He loved her perfectly. And if we were to take a look at scripture, just briefly, I know you had an amazing apologist 
as Tim Staples on earlier. But it's important that we realize that if we're looking at Scripture objectively, from the very beginning, this is about a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. And at the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3.15, God the Father says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And obviously, first and foremost, that offspring is Jesus Christ. But we find out According to John, who is one of the greatest of all the Marian devotees in the book of uh, the Gospel of John, that the woman is Mary. And at the foot of the cross, Jesus says to John and Jesus says to Mary, woman, behold your son. So we are associating the Virgin Mary with Mary, with the new Eve. And then again, John in the book of Revelation in, Gen- in Revelation twelve seventeen, it says that the serpent went off to make war against the woman and her offspring. And those offspring, according to the book of Revelation, are those who hold to the Ten Commandments and give testimony to Jesus Christ. So we are all Mary's offspring, and we first and foremost have to accept that because we are in a spiritual war, and it's a war that's been throughout, that's sown throughout Scripture from the very beginning to the very end. And if you want to win the war, you have to be on the side of the Virgin Mary. And as you well know, Maximilian Colby was famous for saying that the Immaculata alone has a promise from God to crush the head of the serpent. And so as Mary, mother of God, that means a lot of things for us spiritually. So all of our dogmas, they have consequences. And so because Mary is the mother of God, according to St. Alphonsus, whatever belongs to the king also belongs to the queen. And so and he, St. Alphonsus would also say every. Everybody obeys the Virgin Mary. All of nature obeys the Virgin Mary. And even God obeys the Virgin Mary. When Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Virgin Mary by becoming her son, because he's a perfect son, his, his life was one of absolute obedience to the Virgin Mary. So you have Emily, you have Adrian Fonseca working there on the radio station. They're great children, but they're not perfect children. They don't follow their mother in absolutely every single whim. Jesus was absolutely obedient to her, would do whatever she asked. And so that carrying over, that obedience carries over into the spiritual realm as well. So St. Alphonsus would even go on to say, to go this far, that Mary, you can consider Mary omnipotent, not by nature, because God is omnipotent by nature, but by grace as a gift that she can have whatever she wants and God will always say yes. And she never asks for anything that God doesn't want. And this is played out beautifully in the Gospel of John, where John calls, where Jesus himself calls Mary woman. And we see the woman interceding on behalf of those who are helpless. And Jesus goes on to say that it's not my hour, but he does it anyway. So we have in Mary, and Maximilian Colby would call her an an omnipotent advocate. So we, so she, in a way she's omnipotent in the way that she can tug on the heart of God the Father because she's a perfect daughter. Because on the way that Jesus, the perfect son, obeys Mary, who's the perfect and most loving mother, and she's the perfect spouse. So the Holy Spirit is constantly listening to her. So also, we also believe that Mary is the mediatrix of all grace. And so the theologians teach us that we all receive actual grace, which is the grace that God gives us at every moment to do his will. So some people will say, well, how is Mary present to me? How can I have, how intimately is this relationship taking place? It is so intimate that if 
God is giving you every single grace through the Virgin Mary, and at every single moment you're receiving actual grace. That means at every single moment, the mother of God is with you. At every single moment, the mother of God is watching you. And all you have to do is call upon her name and ask her, Mary, how can I be a beautiful child to you? And Mary will do, yes, it's true that we should do a lot for Mary, but Mary will do so many things for you. We, we all, one of the most common questions I'm sure you get on your program is, my son, my daughter, they've left the church. How can I help to save their souls? Or people, one of the biggest uh, fears that people have besides public speaking is death. How can Mary help me <laughs> at the hour of my death? When you give your life over completely to the Virgin Mary, you give her all of your worries, you give her your, your children, you give her your spouse, you give her your fear of death or whatever your fears might be, she takes those as her own. Now, mm. so you're worried about your child converting? You're saying, Mary, I give you my life. She takes your child and she loves your child more than you do. So any, any client, any child of the Virgin Mary, insofar as they are being true children, not just asking her for things, but trying to do her will, trying to hold to the testimony of Christ, trying to live the Ten Commandments, she will not forsake them and she will not forsake their intentions. There's some stories in the book, The Glories of Mary by St. Alphonsus, where a mother was interceding on behalf of her son and her son, who was a, a sinful man, ended up being saved and devils were complaining that they didn't even get a fair trial. This person deserved damnation, but because they had interceded on the, with the mother of God, they didn't even get a fair trial because the devils is a, is like a strong lawyer. So it was completely, uh, completely a waste for him. So we have to go to the Virgin Mary. One of the things that most people are struggling with and uh, the uh, famous exorcist from Rome, Father Gabriel Amorth, would say that many young people are struggling with the devil in the realm of lust, in the realm of temptation towards impurity. And St. Alphonsus also teaches us that the name of Mary is synonymous with purity. If you call, every time you call upon the name of Mary, you're more pure than the second before. Every time you call it upon the name of Mary, you're more humble than you were the moment before. Well, because an act of humility is asking for help. And so Mary is, we're asking Mary for help and she's helping us with that. St. Alphonsus would also say that if you're struggling with impurity and you don't know if you sin, you're there in the heat of the moment, the temptations are raging, you're feeling the burning in your chest that you want to commit a sin. If you've called upon the name of Mary and you're not sure whether you committed the act or not, that St. Alphonsus says, then you can be assured that you did not commit this in. And if you found that you actually did commit the act, if you call upon the name of Mary and you're a mortal sin, you won't remain in mortal sin very much longer because one of a mother's jobs as mother of God, mother of man, mother of Christians is to make sure that they return to the state of grace as soon as possible. We're talking with Gabriel Castillo from Gabi After Hours on uh, YouTube, and we're talking about Mary as the mother of God, and that's a powerful testimony there, Gabriel. Thank you uh, for sharing that deep insights. And I want to say that most of us probably don't spend a lot of time reading St. Alphonsus Liguori, and right. a couple of things that I was thinking about when you were talking about that is how difficult the subject really is, especially for non-Catholics, but even mm -hmm. for Catholics that aren't very well studied in their faith. And, uh, you know, yeah. uh, like, for instance... Uh, that Mary is omnipotent, not by nature, but by grace. I think of John chapter 15, uh, you know, the vine and the branches. The vine is Christ. We are the branches and the branches connected to that vine on earth. Uh, we're connected to the same vine, whether we're on earth or in the beatific vision. 
It's the yes. it's the vine that connects the church, and it is through that vine that this grace is communicated and and given to each and every one of us. And so, what a powerful gift, and what an awesome God we have that He would give us a mother yeah. like Mary. But I know Emily, you had a question for uh, for uh, Gabriel Castillo today, right? Uh, so holiday season, a lot of people are going back and forth from home. I'm going to give you a question you've never heard before. Do Catholics worship Mary? What's the answer for (laughs) those who are being asked this by the... You'd be surprised. This is the most frequently asked question I see on social media. Somehow it just comes up over and over again. We absolutely do not worship Mary, but the amount of honor we give her doesn't even come close to a fraction of coming to what she deserves, which is still nowhere close to worshiping her. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a really great point because... I think we are often, uh, we, we kind of, when we have this idea of that we're worshiping Mary and not giving the due worship to God, I think the problem that people are having with this is, one, we're not thinking of God highly enough, one, and yeah. two, and because we're not thinking of highly enough of God, we think that our love and our adoration and our, uh, and our love of, uh, of God is limited to the yes. proportion of which we give our love out to other people. But it's the same way that you would say, like, I love my parents, for instance. If I love my mom 100%, that doesn't mean I'm taking away love for my father. Uh, if I love my mom 100%, I can still yes. give 100% of love to my father in the same way we do with our mother. Now, I have, I have a question. Let me, let me let, Go ahead. Let me add this to that, because I think every Christian, even a Protestant, would admit that the essence of holiness is union with Jesus Christ. All we desire in life is to be one with God. In heaven, we're going to be one with God. The more Marian you are, that means the more you entrust yourself to the Virgin Mary, the more united to Christ you are. The more, you, the more she becomes your mother, the more you try to please her, the more Jesus-like you become. And that's why St. Alphonsus says that no child of Mary shall ever be lost because that is the very most basic way that you can be united to Christ is to have the same mother. We're talking with uh, Gabriel Castillo from Gabby After Hours. You know, I was also just thinking about, you know, this question about uh, do we do do Catholics worship Mary and what you were saying there about we don't give her enough. I, you know, one of my favorite uh, Renaissance artists is uh, Caravaggio. And oh, one of the reasons why I love his paintings is because the use of light he was his use of light and detail was so dynamic that it really makes mm-hmm. that image almost feel lifelike. And you can sit there and ponder on these images and just just be lost in them somewhat. The artist himself would have never felt, if he was standing next to this image, and I'm just like ignoring him and paying attention to this beautiful piece of artwork, this Caravaggio artwork, he wouldn't be offended that I would pay no attention to him. He wouldn't be offended that I was looking lovingly and, and, and just in awe of the art and the skill and the image and the, and the message and the emotion that's communicated through yes. his craft, through his skill. How much more would that be true for God, who created you, the most think, perfect we, mother possible for his son? If you think about musicians, you go to a music concert and they're playing their most beautiful masterpiece. It would be an insult for you not to stand up and clap after they played their best hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True story. If you're, by the way, fun fact: if you're in China and you're eating at a meal and you don't belch afterwards, the chef is insulted because you didn't yes. compliment them. 
True story. At any rate, we're talking about the mother of God with Gabriel Castillo Gabi after hours. We have about, uh, I don't know, six or seven minutes left in our conversation with him about the mother of God. Maybe we can turn to what is the best way to mark this day? I mean, we go to Holy Mass. Okay, uh, I, I have a, it, yes. But go ahead. What, what, what would you offer us as to so a way have, to, to really three, commemorate? I have three practical ways. Because we are incarnational, we need to do things physically. It's not enough to simply, it is good to harbor a love for Mary in your heart, but we should do things concretely. First, I would say, if you're not wearing a brown scapular, Go buy a brown scapular and enroll yourself. Find a priest to enroll you in the brown scapular. Pope Pius XII said that the wearing the brown scapular is the manifestation of consecration to Mary. It's a manifestation of setting yourself aside as a child of Mary. When you think about what Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, did, he became flesh. He literally took on 100% of the DNA of the Virgin Mary. He clothed himself with his flesh, with her, with her blood that flowed through his body. And so too, when we wear the brown scapular, it's like we're putting on her clothes. We're putting on her flesh. We're putting on her protection. So I would say first and foremost, wear a brown scapular. Get a brown scapular. You'll notice I'm wearing a miraculous medal. It's another beautiful devotion that Mary actually promised graces. So the first was the brown scapular. She promised that nobody who wears a scapular would suffer eternal fire. Again, because that makes you a child of the Virgin Mary. It makes you united to Christ. But Mary also promised to Catherine Labore in 1830 that those who wore the miraculous medal, which is, if you look at it, it's Marian theology because it has Mary crushing the head of the serpent. On the back, it has Mary at the foot of the cross. It's got the 12 stars. It's got the heart of Jesus and the heart of Mary side by side, the heart of Mary uh, pierced by a lance. It's like the the little gospel or the little uh, catechism of Marian theology there. And that those who wore it around the neck, especially with confidence, would experience great graces. And then finally, on the Feast of the Mother of God, if you are a child of Mary, you absolutely, besides going to Mass, you absolutely, even for those who are homebound, you absolutely must pray the Holy Rosary. Because if we're going to be obedient children of Mary, at all of the major Marian apparitions that have happened in the past 200 years, Mary has consistently said, pray the rosary every day. So you cannot call yourself an obedient child of Mary if you're not praying at least one rosary every single day. So those would be my advice to how to honor the mother of God is by kill yourself, kill yourself will. Because our Lord said, take up your cross and follow me. The rosary for many people is boring. I fall into that category most of the time. And so every time we pray the rosary, it's a a little death to myself and a little yes to God, a little fiat saying, yeah, here I am. I'm giving you my time. I'm giving you my space. I'm going to give you my mind and I'm going to think about your mysteries for a little while. I'll never forget one of my uh, my confirmation saying my one of my patron saints is Saint Padre Pio, and there was this uh, time where he was very ill. He, he, many many times in his life, he was very very ill, and uh, he would run 114 degree temperatures. He'd break horse thermometers all the time. One such time, there was a visiting statue of Our Lady, and she had to be brought in by helicopter, and he wasn't able to come down and to spend time with Our Lady at, with the statue, and uh, and they were taking her away. And he went to the window, and he he begged her to come back. And she miraculously came back and he was able to spend time. Now, this is a guy who would pray, I can't tell you how many rosaries per day, but way more than I do anyway. So in the last next uh, four minutes left in our program with you, Gabriel, uh, we had you on before to talk about rosaries, but I, wanna, I want you to maybe recap some of the best practices for praying the rosary. Some of us only pray five mysteries a day. Is that okay or should we be praying yes. more? So St. Louis de Montfort says that it's not even a venial sin not to pray the rosary. 
and but I would caveat that with how many sins would you avoid if you did pray the rosary? So when the rosary was originally introduced, we often forget that Mary called it the angelic Psalter, referring to the 150 Hail Mary, uh, 150 prayers in the book of Psalms. There was 150 Hail Marys. And the Psalter or the liturgy of the hours used to be broken up for priests and religious through, and still is broken up throughout the day. And so to the rosary originally was intended to be all of the mysteries broken up throughout the day in the morning. So you have morning prayer, you have midday prayer, and you have evening prayer. So a lot of times we feel like the rosary is not working. And that could be because we're not praying the entire rosary, which all of the promises were associated with. Now at Fatima, Our Lady requested the rosary. And there are some that say that in Portugal, Portugal, the, the kids were using the word terca, which means a third or something to that effect. I don't speak Portuguese. So praying even just five decades is good. But if you really need maximum prayer power, you can pray more. So tips if you're going to pray all of the mysteries of the rosary is that only do the Apostles' Creed, etc. first in the morning. And then that begins the longer prayer. You don't have to do that over again. If you're going to pray, and many people... Uh, they don't even know that you can pray more. You could pray the same <laughs> mystery. If it, like, so during Christmas, I've been praying the joyful mysteries multiple times a day just to remind myself of that Christmas spirit. You can do them in chronological order. You could do the joyful. You could do the luminous. You could do the sorrowful. You could do the glorious. If you're somebody who, for some reason, you just want to do the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious, you could do those. It, there's really no hard and fast rules. What makes the rosary powerful is that it's sacred scripture. So that's Holy Spirit power there. You're meditating upon the life of Christ. That's the life of Christ. Not only are you thinking about it, but you're encountering Christ. And it, you're, you're praying the Hail Mary, which is the cornerstone of the New Testament. That's where it all began with Mary's yes. And too often we forget that the theology of Mary being our uh, mediatrix of all grace was because of her yes. When she said yes, that's when she became the mother of God and the child Jesus is in her womb. So really the Hail Mary, if, if you're trying to please the mother of God, there's no more beautiful words than you can, you can say than Ave Maria. So that would be my tip. Break it up throughout the day. Don't beat yourself up over it. A lot of times people say, I'm not good at the rosary. Nobody is good at thinking of about more than one thing at a time. So you can either focus on the mysteries or you can focus on the words. Just if you've prayed 10 Hail Marys or you, you lost track and it's been a while, just move on to the next decade and keep moving forward. You don't have to just keep restarting and restarting and restarting and frustrating yourself. You just keep moving forward through, with your prayers throughout the day as if you were praying the Liturgy of the Hours, for example. But you will experience extraordinary, extraordinary graces. I have seen so many young people especially, come through various addictions, whether that be sins of the flesh, whether that be addictions to their phones and technology. Mary has a way, once you accept her as your mother, she has a way of making you a good child. She treats you well, but at the same time, a mother with good children, she knows how to discipline them in just the right way. All right. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Gabriel Castillo from Gabby After Hours on YouTube. Thank you so much for being on us on with us today and Sharing such beautiful insight into the Mother of God. God bless you. God love you. And Happy New Year to you and your family. Merry Christmas to all. 
I was going to say to all a good day, but uh, God bless you. We're going to be back on Monday with a brand new Catholic Drive Time and a whole week of lineup of great programming and to welcoming Stations of the Cross on the team as well. So I want to thank Emily Alcarez and Adrian Fonseca for helping to produce the show today and all of our guests for being so amazing this week. God bless you all. God love you. Thank you again for being on the program, and we'll see you on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend. on your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.